seriously just cough? I coughed away. What? Start it over. So sorry. Freaking. Here we go. <laughs> I didn't know it was like, here we go, right now. The exact oh, second no. that I pushed the record button, she leans over and starts coughing. <laughs> so. I'm so sorry. Welcome to the apparently weird sick podcast where we get sick into a microphone. Oh, we're just going. We are just going. Why would we do it over? I'm so sorry. I will not be coughing ever again. I'd greatly appreciate it. No problem. Um, welcome to uh, We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, episode four. Yes. Nice. Um, today we are breaking format a little bit in that not, uh, some of us did, but not all of us just watched the movie that we're going to be talking about. So some of us have it fresh, others not so much. So um, I am your host, Andrew. I'm here with Becca. The wife. The wife. <laughs> at my right hand and at my left. <laughs> Sid. Sid. The not wife. I, I was going to introduce wife. you. Oh, that's true. This is Sid. I'm screwing this up today. Um, <laughs> Welcome, everybody. How are we doing? Great. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July! Even though Day. no one will listen to this today, <laughs> yeah, it's like probably gonna weeks. be like September before <laughs> it actually gets released. Um, so, um, what do we do at this point? I don't know. Your host, <laughs> take it away. Today, <laughs> we're talking about Hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine was the best. And. I have a little surprise for everybody. Oh, we get the surprise first. We get the surprise first. It's better gonna than be, last week. It's gonna be great. It might not be better than last week's. Sweet baby Ray. Welcome to <laughs> welcome to Sweet Baby Ray's the podcast, <laughs> where we talk about smoking meats with Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. We have a musical guest. strong reaction would you like to tell us what we just listened to that is the greatest band ever created the naked brothers band now did you have any familiar reaction to the drummer of the naked brothers band yes the drummer is alex wolf star of hereditary that is correct and the brother wow. is also nat wolf star of kind of star of fault in our stars wow isn't that exciting so i did not know either of those things now keep in mind that as we see Alex Wolf be tormented throughout this movie, he was the drummer of the Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I always liked him the best out of all the Naked Brothers. Is it the mole? Mm. Yeah, because we have the same kind of mole. Oh, yeah. Really mm. felt some connection to him. I got to say, I think that they cast him just because, like, so Charlie is a terrible artist in the movie. She's like really bad at drawing, right? 
And so when she draws him over and over again with his eyes getting cut out. The only way you can The only way you him. can identify <laughs> it is because she draws the mole every time. So I, think that that, <laughs> I think he's got that to thank for the casting of this movie. No. Um, so first and foremost, this is about hereditary. The podcast, the podcast is about hereditary. We are not hereditary. The podcast. <laughs> We've been over this. We are smoking meats. The podcast with Mark Zuckerberg. Sweet baby rays. Sweet baby rays. Um, holy cow! I didn't know that Tony Collette is Australian. Mm-hmm. Oh really? I did know. Good day, mate. Could you get the demon out of my daughter, please? <laughs> um. So we're talking about hereditary today and it's a it's a it's the newest movie that we've discussed so far mm-hmm. and keeping true to ourselves uh we will jump instantly into any and all spoilers mm-hmm. so if you don't want to have hereditary ruined for you maybe look up a trailer and decide if you want to go watch it and then go watch it and then come back but please come back we'd yes, appreciate it please come back um so we're gonna we're gonna ru- we're gonna run through things maybe a little bit differently today because I don't have notes. I usually have notes, but it's impolite to have your phone out in a movie theater, so I don't have notes. So I'm doing this off the cuff. All right. But uh, Hereditary, the uh, feature film debut of Mr. Ari Aster. Apparently, he made a bunch of super jacked up short films, from what I've read. Uh, there's one in which like a kid rapes his dad or something like that. Oh yeah, I saw Jeez. something about that. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, Weird. And then yeah, so he's got he's in, he's done some short films, but this is the uh, the first feature film that he's done. And if this isn't coming onto the scene with a bang, I don't know what is. <laughs> um. So the movie stars uh, Tony Collette, uh, perhaps best known for uh, being the mom in The Sixth Sense. Mm -hmm. I remember her fingernails vividly (laughs) from that movie. Um, I mean, this poor woman, like the things that... I I, I hope that she has children in real life and that it is a completely fulfilling relationship because (laughs) she's had some messed up (laughs) on-screen kids. (laughs) Um, She was also in Little Miss Sunshine. And that's just from her IMDb bio. So she's been in a bunch of other stuff, I would assume, as well. Very successful actress. Um, also in the film, Alex Wolf, formerly of the Naked Brothers Band. <laughs> as well as, is his name Gabriel Byrne? Is that who that is? Yeah. I don't really know him. You guys know I don't really know him either. Um, he was in The Usual Suspects. He was in Miller's Crossing, Man in, oh, he's in Man in the Iron Mask. Played D'Artagnan. Um, he's in Vikings, the TV series. This kid's just kind of flown under the radar. Where's he from? Born in Dublin, Ireland. You can hear it in his voice in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going to be a priest, and now he's in Hereditary. So hmm. maybe turn that around. Um. Yes, yeah, so let's. Uh, Hereditary is the story of a family who goes through some stuff. You could say a lot of stuff. They go through a lot of stuff. The uh, the the grandmother and matriarch of the family passes away, um, and 
basically she did a bunch of crap in her life that would jack up her whole family's lives and they therefore inherit all of that you could say that her actions and the situations that she created were hereditary (laughs) wow good one so that's your dropped knowledge for today (laughs) um hot takes becca go oh hot takes i don't know if i should be the best one to start because (coughs) i'm not sure if i love the movie but i would say probably my favorite parts would be the acting by tony collette and alex wolf i think were incredible and like those two specifically just acted their parts so well just with like their faces like the whole thing just from their eyes was so good uh great um i am your mother don't you ever curse at me (laughs) as she's swearing at him i know uh sid go hot Um, takes actually p.s guys um the becca and i have talked about this film pretty extensively but we don't know anything about what sid (laughs) thinks about it so this is all a surprise to all of us yes okay i actually really like this one (laughs) 2v1 today it's all right i'll stand my ground (laughs) yeah i really liked it i was um not been a huge fan of horror but in the past few years i've gotten to appreciate it more um but yeah, I thought it was really good. The acting was super good. Tony Collette was freaking incredible in this. Um, it was super scary, and ugh. But so when I went and saw it, I went in just a small theater. There were probably about twenty of us in there, just like middle of the day Saturday. Um, fifteen minutes in, the guy behind me started snoring. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then later, someone started belching. I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. <laughs> Um, and then someone, these, this couple, brought three of their little kids to it. What? Yeah. And they were, like, crying the whole time. I'm like, this is not a movie for kids. This is, no. Don't, first of all, don't take your kids to movies. Ever. Don't do it. I've done it with my nephew. It doesn't work for anyone. Uh, caveat, if it's, like, The Incredibles or something, yeah, okay. go for it. But also, last time when I went to go <laughs> see Incredibles, baby fell and obviously hurt itself, started bawling, and the parents didn't take it out. If you do take your kid and it starts crying, take it out of the theater. Did they just leave him on the ground? No, they like picked him up, but it was just they were just wailing. Take it out of the theater. Jeez. Anyway, good isn't, movie. Isn't The Incredibles two about a baby though? Are you sure it wasn't just the on-screen baby? Nope, it was a real baby. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. Unfortunately. Yikes. Uh, my hot take on this movie is I freaking love it a lot. He won't stop talking about it ever. I know. So we've seen it, Beck and I have seen it twice now. Uh, we saw it opening weekend, and then we just went and saw it again today, this morning. So it's fresh in our minds. And I am just like all about this movie. I, I'm, I'm really a little bit pissed that it's releasing so early in the year, because the Academy seems to have like a two-month memory. And I, I don't know, Get Out did really well, obviously, last year. And that was a horror movie released earlier in the year. So this one being released in June, I think it's got a shot at winning some stuff. And I think it absolutely should. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen the competition, but I don't think that like Timothy Chalamet is going to beat out Tony Collette for Best Actress. So 
I don't know. He's pretty good. I really <laughs> like him. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that she probably has a better shot at best actress. I don't know. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna, you're gonna nominate him for best actress just because he's that good. I would nominate him for everything. <laughs> anyway, no, for I agree. Best I think sound editing, <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> I think she has a good shot so far. I agree. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very, very into this movie. I think. Um, I mean, I don't, you said that you're like starting to get into horror, but yeah. I think that I might be like the most horror-loving person mm-hmm. here. I would say so. Probably. That's probably a safe bet. Yeah. We do our, uh, every year we do 31 days of October where you watch a horror movie every night for the entire month of October. And just logistically, it's a lot of work. Because <laughs> you gotta, you gotta narrow down the movies and. Actually set aside time to watch them every yeah, single night. Time to watch night. a movie every single day <laughs> is difficult. But. Horror movie after horror movie after horror movie. That would be a bit too much for me. Becca sleeps great during October. (laughs) And then we just never watch a horror movie for the rest of the year. We get it all out. Well, now. But no, I think that there's there's a cool trend happening in the last few years where horror movies are being taken a bit more seriously and also taking themselves a bit more seriously. We've had things like, I mean, obviously this... And then, like, Get Out last year, and The Babadook, and The Witch, and I'm sure that there are others that I'm forgetting, but those are the ones that immediately come to mind. And as Becca and I were talking about it, I said that um, this this movie is my favorite kind of horror, because I feel like it uses, like, horrific elements to tell a story unrelated to th- those elements, if that makes sense. Because we were, we were talking about it, and she's like, you said something along the lines of, like, well, it's just a story of a demon possession. Mm-hmm. And I kind of disagreed with that, um, in that to me, the demon possession and all of that acts more as setting than as plot. And plot really focuses on um, Annie and her family. And I think that that's, that's what makes these kind of horror films so special. So, like, you look at Get Out, which is obviously a lot lighter of a film than this, but it does the same thing. It has these horrific elements, like, you know, body snatching and and mind control and, like, ritualized murder and all that kind of stuff. Um, but those act as setting rather than plot. The plot is um, Daniel Kaluuya's character, like, figuring out what's going on. It's a mystery, essentially, more than anything else. And this, I, I feel like Hereditary, more than anything else, is a family drama more so than a horror film yes there are horrific elements and weird crap that happens but it's more about this family and them coping with loss and grief and you know responsibility and guilt and blame and all that kind of stuff um and i guess i'm just gonna jump into it and completely disagree with you on everything that you just said i mean i agree with some parts i really do like horror movies that have a deeper theme surrounding it and that tell a story about grief or responsibility which this starts to do but here come all the spoilers in the last two minutes it completely breaks everything apart and all of those lessons that it might have been teaching don't mean anything because really all that happens is a demon possesses a boy's body like start to finish that is what happens 
And even as you were talking, I was reminded of a scene at the dinner table when they're arguing. And this helps my point completely. Um, when Annie says, like, what's the point of all this? Like, this could have been a good thing for our family if we had learned from it, but we're not learning anything from it. And that's kind of, that kind of sums up the entire movie for me, is that there's all of these things that they're experiencing, like the loss of a parent or a grandma and the loss of a sister in a tragic accident and like taking responsibility and mourning and all of those kinds of things but nothing ever happens. They don't learn anything from it. They don't become better because of it. Every single thing that happened in the movie was because of a demon possessing somebody, and there was no real conclusion except that everybody dies and the demon possesses them. Like, there was no real lessons learned from learning how to cope with grief because they didn't cope with it. See, I look at it, though, like, when you you talk about it like that, it's like you can watch The Martian, for example, right? And be like, oh, everything happened because he was stuck on Mars. But, like, Mars is the setting. So I guess that's where, that's where I come from with that is, like, when I say, like, that I feel like the demon possession acts as setting rather than, than plot, right? Because, yeah, everything happens because of this demon possession and the crap that the grandma did and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 I get where you're coming from. I think it's just a, a matter of disagreement. That's fair. I can see it as a setting. It just, and definitely grief was a theme and responsibility was a theme and loss was a theme, but just nothing really came of it. And that was disappointing for me. What side of the fence are you on? (laughs) (laughs) Decide Um, the argument now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is a week's old argument. (laughs) Oh yes. Uh, I don't know because I can see both sides. Um, I guess I would probably more agree with Becca in the fact... Uh, yes. I mean, okay, let me explain <laughs> that, yes, this movie is about a demon possessing a family and, like, ruining their lives, but I think that is kind of just, uh, it's like the catalyst in it. It's not the main focus. The main focus throughout most of the movie is how this presence affects the family and how... Uh, it affects the relationships and pretty much destroys everything. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's up to interpretation. Um, but, I don't know. I'm probably anyway. right in the middle. Okay. I'm, I'm neutral. I'm middle. Switzerland. Just sitting <laughs> directly on top of the fence rather than deciding the argument. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I just think it's kind of interesting because I think all of the things that make Andrew really like the film, make me not like it as much. Like, one thing that we've talked about is, um, and I don't know if you know this, Sid, but it's all the same people. This is my gosh darn favorite thing about the movie. Okay, I'll let you explain <laughs> it, and then I'll explain okay, what I was going to so say So, the only time in the history of the world that cast in order of appearance has been a benefit to anybody is in this movie. Because there's only, like, 15 people in the movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> So, the freaking people in the grief support group are the same people at the funeral, are the same people <gasps> at, that are the cult members at the end. It's the same gosh darn okay, people throughout the whole that. movie. 
That's pretty incredible. Because that's what I, 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 I read that somewhere and I was like, I don't know if that's true. And like, it's also dark and like not well lit. Yeah. So, I, so we stayed after for the credits and it lists in order of appearance. And there's seriously probably 20 people in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like the last people who are introduced are the stoner kids under when Peter's like smoking pot with his friends under the bleachers. Yeah. Those are the last people introduced, which means that every, everybody that's on screen after that has already been on screen before. Mm. So it is these same people. The whole thing is a setup. It's all a setup. Which is exactly like proves my point that like the lessons learned mean nothing because the lessons weren't learned because it's all a big setup. Every single person they interact with, besides like the students at school, is a member of this cult. And so they're like shaping all of this family's experiences. So like it's going to go one way. Like maybe if Annie had gone to a support group that wasn't full of cult members, she would have actually learned how to deal with her grief. Instead, she learns how to call Charlie back and do a seance. Like but she, If you listen to her speech at the beginning of the support group, she's like, I was forced to come to one of these a few years ago. Her mom made her go. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And I can see how like, These things are really cool and they really do add to the film and to the story that's trying to be portrayed and represented. But I didn't like it. Like you say you like it because of like the lessons that you can learn about grief and the other themes that are there. But like I didn't feel like I learned those things because it was really just a horror movie about a demon. So let me let me back up then because what what this all comes back to in as far as this specific item is that probably my single favorite thing about the movie is how tightly written it is like it everything connects everything foreshadows something it is so tightly written and you can miss so much of it and in fact there's a lot of it that I did miss the first time around that like going back a second time I was like goodness like it's just it's like if this dude never directs again and all he does is just go write screenplays, like I'm okay with that. Because, but the, I mean, actually, I'm not because the direct their direction is also fantastic. But like, <laughs> the, it's just it's so 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 well written, and like, I think that I think that there's two threads that run through it that um, I, I I kind of come to mind when you bring up what you were talking about as far as like were the lessons learned, right? Because they have these opportunities to learn lessons, but the question is, like, did they learn anything? Did we learn anything, mm-hmm. right? And while I think you're right that they probably didn't learn anything, I think that we definitely do if we watch them. Because, don't join a cult. Well, yeah, obviously, <laughs> that's that's number one. Number one is don't join a cult. Um, but I think that we learn the lessons by them failing to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because even in the like every scene where tony collette like breaks down she's refusing to acknowledge her responsibility and somebody's here (laughs) she's refusing to acknowledge her responsibility and the role that she plays in these things happening it's like if you run through there's a if we just run through a few scenes so she's at the support group and she's like you know my dad starved himself to death and my brother hanged himself and all this crap, blah, 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 um, She's like, but then she's like, she says, so that was my mom's life. But like, that wasn't your mom's life. That was your life. 
and you're like refusing to acknowledge any part in it. Two is the dinner scene where she's like, um, she's like, but you, she's like, you could have said sorry. You could have acknowledged what you did. You could have not run from it, but now you didn't. So now I can't forgive and I can't let it go. And all this stuff. She's like, because nobody takes any responsibility. And then Peter's like, what about you, mom? <laughs> like, you let her go to the party. Exactly. So, like, she's yelling about people not accepting any responsibility while simultaneously refusing to take any responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and then the third one is when she goes and talks to Joan at her house for the first time. And she's like, when Joan's like, so what's, what's your relationship with your son? And it's interesting that to describe her relationship with her son, she tells a story about almost lighting him on fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But even in that, she's like, but I haven't done it for years and I was asleep. And I didn't do it. You know what I mean? Like maybe right there refusing to recognize that there might be some underlying trauma that like made you subconsciously want to burn your kid alive. And we learn what that is later. But mm-hmm. like she continues to refuse to confront these things that keep happening to her and that she keeps doing so she by her refusing to confront any of them and even after charlie dies like what gets her into trouble is the fact that she refuses to actually confront it Mm -hmm. she refuses to go through like the stages of grief if you will and she just gets stuck in denial but it wouldn't have helped her it would have helped her nope yeah, w- here's the thing. If she hadn't gotten stuck, right? She got stuck wanting to bring Charlie back. So Joan is like, well, you can do a seance and bring her back. That seance is what allowed the demon to do all of his stuff. Yeah, but the demon was with the family from the beginning. And but she could have, here's what I'm saying. is Everything. She had, in order for the plan to move forward, she had to perform that ritual. Shoot, what is that? In order, sorry, in order... <laughs> Everything's going wrong today. In order for the plan to move forward, she had to perform that ritual. It's true. So if she had just been like, no, Joan, my daughter's dead. I need to move on. Like, boom, dead right there. Stops it. But she wouldn't have because it wasn't part of her character. Because she was raised by her mom who had the demon in her. And an interesting point that this reminds me of... (laughs) Is right after her mom dies, and I noticed this the second time, um, she sees like an apparition of her mom in her workroom, and the next day she's on the computer, and it says like, she has like this search page up, and she's like searching like presumed sightings of apparitions, and it's like a whole page about like how to communicate with people who have died. So like, that just kind of shows like her character that she's already like, kind of looking into that and thinking about that like she was raised by a psychopath demon so that's just kind of in her character and there's no way she would choose a different path because from birth like she was in this already well and it's i'm sorry were you gonna say something this is just like an argument i'm just just enjoying it no it's like um it's what was i gonna say but the, I guess the point is, um, that, so the the second thread, as I mentioned before, there were two threads that I thought were running through it. So the one is that we learn the lessons because they don't. Mm-hmm. The second thread is that idea 
that um, gets brought up in the first classroom scene of like, is it more or less tragic if they have a choice? Yeah. And I guess my rebuttal to that is that I think that they do have a choice. I think that a lot of things are pre-planned and um, the cult goes to a lot of effort to make things happen a certain way, but there's always a choice. Like they, they plan that Charlie's going to be sticking her head out of the window when they drive past that pole because the pole has like the, the symbol on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like so many things could have happened differently to prevent that. And then mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? And even like the the dad enforced a no contact rule after Peter was born. Like if they had just continued to enforce that and not give it in when Charlie was born. Again, whole thing could have been averted. Like by them, they refused to change and adapt and learn these lessons. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, I do obviously, I mean, obviously she was emotionally messed up by her mother and raised in a really jacked up way and all that kind of stuff but like she had a good husband she Mm -hmm. had good kids yeah she could have moved past that but she didn't Mm -hmm. and that was a choice yeah so it's true that might be the only real lesson learned is that you do have a choice and when you don't make the right choice then Then you're gonna end up cutting off your own head with a piano wire while floating in the attic (laughs) yep that is 100% what's going to happen if you don't decide to make a change. Every time. Every time. You only get one shot. One opportunity. What do you think, Sid? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. Um, you guys are putting me in a tough spot. What, what, was, your, what was your favorite aspect of the film mm, probably i don't know just tony collette was so good in this just my favorite scene is um when she's having the dream when she's telling peter that she never wanted to be a mother oh yeah um but like seriously when she's just when she first says i never wanted to be your mother and then she realizes what she said that split second is so good like I can't even fathom how someone can be so good at acting and that just that whole scene is so good and uh, I don't know I just I really like this movie I normally don't like this style of horror I'm kind of more like the overt scary parts but this was really good and also the part when Peter first wakes up on that last night and she's up in this corner that scared me so bad and you don't see her I mean you could completely miss her if you're not looking yeah. for it. I was just sitting next to my mom and like probably five seconds into the scene, I'm just like, <gasps> she's like, what? what? Oh my gosh. And I hid under the blanket because we take blankets to movies now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. There were, recli- there were recliner seats, so. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Universe mom. That is one of my favorite scenes in the that entire such movie. A good scene. It's, it's just so patient. Mm-hmm. It's such patient filmmaking Mm -hmm. and what what makes that scene so effective is that there have been misdirects the entire movie i remember watching it the first time and something would happen i'd be like okay here we go Mm -hmm. this is where it's gonna get scary and then it didn't Mm -hmm. okay here we go this is where it's gonna get scary and it didn't 
okay. I mean, I remember watching the first time, and when she sees her mom in the corner, I was like, here we go. Let's <laughs> do this. I'm like, seeing ghosts. And even, like, she's she's sitting there. She, like, um, so she turns off the light, and the mom is just, like, standing in the corner like a friggin' creepo. That was creepy. And <laughs> um, she she's like, mommy? Like, the way that she says it. And, like, the music, because when she turns the light on, the music cuts out. And, like, if you watch the freaking trailer for the new Conjuring number 75, whatever. <laughs> have you guys seen the trailer I'm talking about with the, the, nun? the nun? Yeah. And they're in the basement. And the, like, the the not demon nun is, like, walking around with her lantern uh-huh. and, like, calling out to somebody. And then she stops. And it waits, like, three or four seconds. And then all of a sudden, other, like, demon nun comes from the side. And, like, mm-hmm. Like, the first time that I saw this, that's what I was waiting for when she's mm-hmm. like, because the music cuts and she's like, Mom. And I expected, like, I don't know, like a bookshelf to fall through the ceiling or something like that. I don't know. But, like, something crazy and, like, jump scare. But, like, it just hovers there and then the scene ends. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. No jump scare. Cool. And then even, like, um, I'm trying to think what uh, what other moments there were. There were several moments that I was like, oh, okay, here we go. This is where it's going to ramp up. And then when it actually does ramp up, it's so subtle. Because mm-hmm. Peter just wakes up, and it's just this long scene of him rubbing his eyes. And mm-hmm. it, it the first time I saw it, it probably took me seven or eight seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is she doing in there? Oh, this is and she, like, crawls out. Yeah, I oh. jumped, and I grabbed Becca, and I was like, ah. <laughs> and I didn't notice until Andrew grabbed me, and then I was freaking out. So I was paying really careful attention to the lighting on it this time, knowing what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you could miss it. You could entirely Absolutely. miss it. Mm-hmm. You just – and I'm like, I don't know. But it's like it, that is probably well, the scariest moment of the movie, mm-hmm. I think. I didn't think this movie was that scary, to be totally honest with mm-hmm. you guys. I thought it was a little messed up in some places. Mm-hmm. But like as far as actual being scared, I was never scared during yeah. it. Um, I was. That was the only part that I really considered genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. Um, also, smiling blonde man. Oh, yeah. That dude's gross. That's creepy. That dude's real um, gross. Apparently, during uh, that last scene, you can see the shadow of the demon in a doorway. Really? Which, yeah. Appar- I, don't, I had no freaking idea. Really? Yeah, so I guess we're going to have to see it one more time just to notice that. No. But yeah, that really <laughs> it drives home the point that this lighting and it's so subtle in the last few scenes well and one thing that um was pointed out the first time we saw it but i didn't notice it and was looking for it this time i don't know if you noticed this sid but let's see where is it it's during the day when annie's talking to her husband and is like trying to convince him to throw away the notebook into the fire and then he ends up getting burned and then the demon goes inside her, and then it goes to nighttime. Mm-hmm. And it has the scene with the house, and it's daytime, and it immediately goes to nighttime. Mm-hmm. Did you notice all of the people standing around? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't I, notice it the first time. I caught it a split second before it changed frames, and I, like, turned to my mom. I'm like, oh, my gosh, did you see the people? She's like, what? 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 It's like, the people, did you see them? What? No? Huh? So, so crazy. There's, oh, there's so a few different times throughout the movie that's, like, shows that they're being watched mm-hmm. um so one that i pointed out I, I i saw it the first time but i didn't like put any thought into it yeah um 
But when Peter is smoking weed in his room and he goes to like blow out the window, there's like smoke coming from the bottom left of the of the screen Ooh. and you can it's again it's really dark so it's hard to tell but it's there's an outline of a person so somebody is sitting there watching him and you see their breath oh my gosh but like he's blowing so smoke clever. out the window so it like you can again you can yeah. be excused for missing it right that's all you're focused and on. same thing when uh at the end when peter wakes up and uh, annie is up on the ceiling we see the motion activated light turn on because his bedroom is over the garage Mm-hmm. so like showing that there's somebody moving mm-hmm. out there okay i didn't yeah i noticed that part when it turned on and i was like okay i didn't really understand that but also kind of a cool detail i noticed this time they have two volvos mm-hmm. but then after the crash they get rid of one of them they don't bring the other car back i mean why would you oh but yeah that makes sense it's just kind of a cool little fact hmm. um another thing i wanted to talk about is how freaking genius the marketing behind this movie was like, because when I, I don't know about you guys, but when I watched the trailer, I was like, okay, here we go. Demon little girl movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm in for a de- I'm like, give me the Omen 2.0. <laughs> like, just a demon child. And then 20 minutes in, they pop her head off. Yeah, I was, I was even thinking about that. Like, the trailers were so good to make you think she's in it throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Oh, she's barely in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, in an age where we have like the jurassic world fallen kingdom trailer it's (laughs) that tells you everything all the the best parts i could go watch the trailer right now and feel like i had as good of a time as when i went and saw that movie (laughs) like we live in an age where trailers give everything away yeah like i actively if i know that i want to see a movie like if it's by a director that i like or it's got an actor that i like or whatever i avoid any trailer like the plague Mm. because studios are so bad at giving away everything in the trailer but this one they sold you a completely different movie but not in the same way that like mother sold you a different movie Mm -hmm. like this still sold you a horror movie and it's what you got but like it was a different villain it was a different story than you expected like i expected when i saw the trailer i was like oh grandma dies possesses little girl does crazy ritual magic whatever Mm -hmm. that's what i expected Mm -hmm. was that it was gonna be like the grandma's spirit inside of the little girl that was my prediction for the movie not at yeah. all nope nope because even like that would fit with the title of like oh maybe she inherited her grandmother's spirit like no man she did such a good job i will agree that there's a lot of parts about the movie that's so good first of all the acting the editing directing all of that is incredible all of the things about it are good i just didn't <laughs> like it <laughs> That's no, like I can watch that movie and like say that it's a very well done movie. And for what they wanted to do, they did it fantastic. Like they did a fantastic job. But like we were just talking about this today. Like one of the things that I felt overall during the entire movie was just like very unsafe and unsettled. And like I felt like at any moment, like something was going to happen, which is great for a scary movie. That's kind of the point. But like I just didn't like it. And didn't want to feel that while I was watching a movie. So, what you're describing is called tension. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I've seen horror movies before and I've enjoyed them very much. <laughs> I did not enjoy this one. <laughs> I just want to go watch The Babadook now. Me too. I could watch that one. That's such a good movie. I hope you guys read that one again. It's been a few years. It's a good one. 
and she uh starts feeding the babadook at the end but see that's a that's one that like disappointed in you wraps itself up kind of and you can really get like some symbolic themes this one to me i almost wish the last two minutes were not in hereditary and it would have ended with like the demon spirit just going into peter and being done because we would all still know what's happening but like just the last two minutes made the rest of the movie just seem, I don't know, unnecessary almost. So I, I, I mostly agree, um, honestly. I could see, I could very much see the ending being unsatisfying to people, right? Yeah. Um, because again, like you said, it's just like, oh, the demon wins. Here we go. Boom. Um, I do think that, and, and again, this is. It's like the writing kind of held itself hostage a little bit because in when she finds the book describing like how to bring payment back or whatever, um, it says that once you start the ritual that he goes to the most vulnerable person. So we see him kind of we see him kind of hop back and forth between Annie and Peter at different points. But then it also says that you have to lock it in at the end. And that's where that is. So if they hadn't put in that detail in like how the ritual is described that it has to be locked in, I think they could have done without the last two minutes, but I think that the last two minutes are just like following up on that part of it. I was thinking about that cause we were talking about it earlier and I think that's what it is. Is like it, it describes the ritual. And so we see it through to the end. Yeah. It's kind of what it is. But again, I see where you're coming from where like the ending could be unsatisfying like- because they lose. Like, as a, like, movie watcher trying to get themes from horror movies, like, sure, that finished out the story, but, like, I didn't need that to, like, enjoy it or learn from it or whatever, you That's know? fair. So, it's just my view. Ending, good or bad? Um, I agree that, like, ending it two minutes earlier would have been fine, but I think it also the ending kind of clears up a little bit like where the demon actually was and like what was the deal why did charlie have to die and um i think it was a pretty good wrap-up i mean it didn't make me feel good but i think (laughs) it was good for the storyline yeah why do you guys think everybody had to be decapitated i was just gonna ask that i don't i i i i wonder i don't know because it even shows when annie is going back to Joan's house and pounding on the door and she's not answering and it shows her apartment. It has the picture of Peter in the middle and then it has the decapitated bird mm-hmm. head that um, Charlie made and then like two other bird heads that were just there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of decapitation in this film. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, has some kind of meaning, but I don't really know what it That's means. What I'm saying. I feel like it's got to be something. But I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really creepy to see Charlie's head again at the end. Yeah, I know. I was like, I really did not want to see that. Again. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I pointed this out to Becca as well. When uh, when Peter goes into the weed room at the party, the kids on the bed are watching a movie or like watching a video of the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Weed kids. <laughs> I mean, like, there's just a lot of for- like Charlie cutting off the bird's head, the guillotine <laughs> video, then she loses her head. The foreshadowing is incredible in this movie. Like, there's so many good things. And when you, like, watching it a second time, 
it's really easy to pick out those things. Other one, I'm curious. So I'm curious on a couple of things, and then I want us to run through like our favorite scenes, um, or least favorite scenes, if you want to. Um, <laughs> other thing that I was kind of unclear on is so when Charlie is in the, at the kind of in the the middle of the Charlie part of the movie, she hears the like and follows it out, and there's just like a woman sitting in a ring of fire. Oh yeah, I, I thought that, that was part. her grandma. Was it her grandma? I think so. So what was up with that? I don't know. I feel like I'm not a hundred percent sure, like where the demon was at all times. But I think from it was what with Charlie. I understand, then. yeah, it was in the grandma. And then when she, when the grandma died, it went into Charlie. I think that she gave it to Charlie when she was born. That's another possibility. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Or, but I also don't know because at the grief counseling. Um, Annie's like, my mom had DID, so which is dissociative identity disorder or mm-hmm. what James McAvoy has in Split. <laughs> <laughs> so, which would indicate that she had a person inside of her. I think that the demon was in the grandma, and that's why the grandma tried so hard to, like, make Charlie what Charlie was. Because it was really the demon trying to find a new host. And if the demon wasn't in the grandma, I don't think she would have been as crazy as she was. So I th- that's my theory is that the demon left the grandma when the grandma died and went into Charlie then. And maybe that was some kind of vision, hallucination thing that Charlie had. I don't know. What do you think, Sid? Um, I originally thought that it went from the grandma to Charlie. And then I watched some videos and they kind of made it seem that it was always in Charlie. So, I mean, there are different things that point to each one like right when um annie's explaining um her history with her mom and saying that like her mom wanted to feed charlie and she always told her that she wanted her to be a boy who's the super creepy miniature of like old oh, lady yeah. with her boob hanging like, oh, yeah, no, thank so you. gross but then also but can you just nurse on demand is that a thing <laughs> that women can do nope i don't know nope but then like also you see that really the the demon can fully possess another body like once they're dead and once they're decapitated so i don't know i kind of feel like it started out in the grandma and then it went to charlie after she died see the only thing the only thing i i I, i'm pretty set on that she gave it to charlie when she was born Mm -hmm. or around the time that she was born the only thing that trips me up is um, that the grandma had DID. Mm-hmm. Well, here's another because thing. Because I, I think that it seems to me when she gives her family history that the grandma it was basically just trying to find a host yeah. for her entire life, right? Like she tried to put it in her husband. Her husband starved himself to death. Mm-hmm. She tried to put it in her kid. Her kid hangs himself. So then she pressures Annie into having a kid, but they're cut off at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So she can't put it in him. So then she weasels her way back into Annie's life when Charlie is born and is like, well, we're going to have to make this work. Mm -hmm. But like always with the idea that they would get it into Peter. Yeah. But I think that is still in the grandma because. So then why at the end do they address Peter as Charlie? Because Charlie was like from birth meant to be that person. And like host the demon, but as I'm saying, I think it's it's 
Maybe. I don't know. It could yeah. be either way. From the time of the seance, it's pretty clear where the demon is mm-hmm. as far as jumping between Annie and Peter. Yeah. Before that, I think it's a little bit unclear. Yeah. But. Because Charlie even has a moment in school where it has like the light and then she sees the bird. Yeah. Hit the window. And so that to me shows like that's when like the demon went into Charlie. You think so? I think so. Um. Okay. Because then she went and cut off the head of the bird. I can buy that. And then that's like the next day she had Mm -hmm. the walked out and like had the weird vision or whatever. And then she was. I can super get on board with that, actually. That's what I thought. I mean, we agree on something for the (laughs) movies. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Um, Another scene that confused me a little bit. Um, Wait, when? Because <laughs> after she goes outside and cuts the bird's head off. That's when she sees the lady. The lady is across the street and, and waves at her. Ooh. And she does the same freaking at wave the very in the end. attic. So creepy. I love this movie. Oh my gosh, I need to see it again. Oh, oh. So creepy. Okay, other scene so that good. didn't make a whole ton of sense to me. And I, I have a theory, but I'm curious your guys' thoughts. When Joan is at the school at the end, and she's like, Oh, Peter, I expel you. Yes. What's going on there? I got it this time. Okay. Did you did you get it, Sarah? Um, Do you know the scene we're talking about? Yes, okay. I know. Okay. But I, I have an idea, but I I'm curious. I'm curious idea. what yours is. So I was wondering that the first time I saw it, and I was like, what is happening? I thought, at first I thought she was like trying to warn Peter about something. But I think what she had to do was expel Peter's spirit from yeah. his body. That's what that was my so idea. that like the demon could like take over because she says like, yeah, she says I expel you, and then she says, I'm pretty sure she says all the words that were written on the walls. She absolutely does. And then she <laughs> says, get out. Mm-hmm. And then the demon. and then Peter goes and breaks his nose. Yeah. So because here's the thing. So this again is jumping back to the last two minutes of the film. And why I am becoming more and more convinced that they were totally essential. Okay. Um, because, again, if the entire point was just to get payment into Peter's body, he was there. Yeah. Like he was in. That's They true. had to get him in and lock him in. Mm-hmm. And so the last 20 minutes are the final stages to get him not only into Peter's body, but into Peter's body with nothing in their way. So they kill the parents and then get Peter's body. Mm-hmm. And then lock him in. Mm-hmm. Because, again, that's that would be – here's the thing. If they didn't show him being locked in, then I think that would count as, like, a plot hole. Yeah. Basically. Because then people would just be like, well, he was in, like, mission accomplished. You yeah. know what I mean? But it, instead he hops back and forth between Peter and Annie. That's true. But, yeah, that was my thought. When she said that, I was like, she's telling Peter to get out of his body. <laughs> and then that's when the freaking demon goes in. <laughs> breaks his nose (laughs) that is a good point and that's why so i mentioned earlier we were talking about this and then andrew made me stop talking because i had to save it for the podcast (laughs) we were just talking too much and i was like we're gonna have nothing (laughs) to talk about um but this is kind of why i almost wish it was just like more of a horror movie because like the first half of the movie or most of it really you think it's just this movie about like grief and dealing with the death of loved ones and things like that but it's really really not and like i almost just wish it was more just horror because then i wasn't disappointed by like the lessons that weren't learned or like i didn't get anything out of it because the ending was so unsatisfying so i feel like 
I might have enjoyed it better if it was more horror, more horrifying, which sounds like weird to say, but go watch all 19 conjurings then. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, that's fair. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Cuz that I and again, I think that's what you said at the beginning like the things that I love about this movie I are the things that make you dislike it. Yeah. But like I can honestly say that it is a very good movie like it's brilliant in everything that it does i just didn't like it and i wouldn't recommend it to almost anybody <laughs> unless they're like very into films i think i would i would recommend it like to fans of horror because this yeah. to me is it's it is a horrific movie mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know any were there any scenes that didn't make sense to you guys or um one thing so when she's when anna's first trying to burn the notebook it catches her arm on fire. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was talking about it with my mom afterwards. If her husband had thrown it in, would she have caught on fire? Or? I don't think so. I think, and this is just my explanation for it, but when when she opens the book and reads about the ritual, mm-hmm. Payman is, in parentheses, listed as the god of mischief. Mm. I think he's just screwing with her. Okay, I think I actually just figured it out. She had to first try and burn it, saw that it was going to, whoever was trying to burn it was going to catch on fire. Uh And then probably the whole goal was just to try and get the husband to catch on fire. So they were probably, when she first burned it, it was saying, if you burn this, you will catch on fire and die. And they were probably trying to manipulate her into thinking that she will die. And then they twisted around so the husband dies. Because I feel like he was the the steady rock throughout keeping things from going too crazy mm-hmm. yeah. so they needed to get him out of there yeah he was a great dad like he was the only reasonable i know sometimes it was like, okay, he's a douche but well you get put in that situation and that's true. don't act a little bit like a douche i know like i felt like he was great like he was such a caring dad and husband and like always tried to do the right thing and i was like oh there's a good guy in this movie <laughs> and then he no. burns to death burns to death <laughs> okay, bye. And Peter walks in and his his hands are like rigid in the air and you yeah, see his ring. I was like, oh, poor little Peter. Well, and even I don't I don't really want to get all the way back into this, but like Annie realizes her mistake and tries to fix it and tries to change it. But at that point, it was too late. She at that do point, anything. it was too late. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing she could do to stop it all from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, Tony Collette in that scene, just like when she's all hysterical and then you see the light come up behind her and how she just switches it so fast so good so good she's amazing yeah just her facial expressions were so good and you always knew if she was like sane or crazy or like you always knew exactly what she was feeling (laughs) there's also a lot of hints that like the events of the film are just kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. If that makes sense, as far as the dysfunctionality of the family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like even from the very beginning, like going to the funeral, like she's not sad, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But like it's still the dad who's like rounding everybody up and mm-hmm. like goes in and talks to Peter and like talks to her and is like, no, you need to be whatever you need to be and like has to find Charlie. <laughs> exactly. Tells her not to eat nuts. But that was one thing. The second time around, I, I, I liked the dad the first time around, but like I super appreciated his character a lot more the second time around. That I'm like, this dude's just trying. 
Well, and he was like a normal guy, you know. He saw his wife going through all these crazy things, so he emails the psychiatrist. You know, like, I think my wife needs help. Like that is a logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Good for him. And he says we should call the police. There's a dead body in our <laughs> attic. <laughs> the police can't help. <laughs> and even when like he's about to throw it in, he's like, "No, I'm not doing this with you. Like, I'm not indulging you anymore." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he's just doing what he thinks is best. Yeah. So it's it is refreshing to see like a normal person in a horror movie everybody in this film acted in accordance with their characters so i'm not going to say because i don't want to get tripped up and say that everybody acted intelligently which is like the number one horror movie cliche is people are stupid in them right yeah people acted very much according to their characters in this movie Mm -hmm. every single character Mm -hmm. acted as a human being would yeah like the writing is just so sharp and like I don't know, just going back to even just, like, the emotion that both Annie and Peter showed in just their eyes, like, after Charlie dies, and just, like, Peter's face for the rest of the movie, really. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, it shows that weight and that grief, and it's, like, I don't know how you do that. Like, how would you act that good? I don't get it. just remembers that he was in the Naked Brothers band. (laughs) And it makes him so sad. That he's sad because he can't do it anymore. That's why he's sad. I'm sad too. Um, all right, let's run through some of our favorite scenes. Sid, you start. Um, and we'll just go around the table until we run out of scenes to talk about. Okay. I had a lot of favorite scenes. Um, I think probably either the dream that Annie has when she's yelling at Peter or when Peter smashes his head into the desk. That was Jeez. a freaky scene and I really liked it. And also when I found out that um Alex Wolf like actually hurt himself and that's his real blood. Are you that, serious? Really? Yeah. So he told the director that he was totally willing to do it, just break his nose. And the director was like, No, we're gonna we're gonna put some foam down for you. And then so he thought it was foam, thought it was gonna be totally cushioned. He smacked his head. It wasn't it was like oh a goodness. little bit of a cushion, but still not very So he actually broke his nose. I don't know if he broke his nose, but it's for sure his own blood just dripping down his body. Wow. But it's knowing that it makes that scene. This so is why much we better. have trivia sit around. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that What would you do without me? <laughs> you wouldn't know that. No. It's <laughs> nuts. I know. It's so good. Good for him. It's like the kind of dedication they all had to their roles mm-hmm. like it's like when leo smashes the glass in django unchained mm-hmm. you haven't seen that nope <laughs> um okay well then i'll jump on the uh the dream scene because while I, I don't think that i'd put that as my top scene like whole the her acting in that scene it's so good where she's like i never wanted to be your mother and then like puts her mouth her hand over her mouth but mm-hmm. then just like keeps talking yeah and like it reveals like that's such an important scene for her character mm-hmm. and for us to understand um her mom's influence, right? Like she pressured me. I tried to have a miscarriage. Like mm-hmm. that's some dark stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then Peter, like, why are you scared of me? Mm-hmm. And like that's why. Yeah. Uh, I think that my favorite scene if i had to pick like a single one oh i don't even know probably the dinner scene you guys are stealing all my scenes (laughs) i think i think i think i would put the dinner scene as my number one um 
just again her acting and um uh, alex wolf as well in that scene Mm -hmm. like when she when when she just like loses it and she's like don't you curse at me i am your mother don't you like man well and that's another one where just like the look of disgust that she has on her face Mm -hmm. like is so real and just ugly and there and then peter just like the look of like hurt and regret and like the bags under his eyes like oh it's just so good so i think that that one now that you mentioned that that is tied for the immediate aftermath of charlie's accident for me mm-hmm. as far as my favorite scenes in the movie oh my gosh and when he's when he like starts to talk he goes are you okay like he's like gonna ask if she's okay and yeah because he like can't like bring himself to like he knows that she's dead but yeah he can't. when he's yeah. like because he's like Ugh. he's like are you okay okay because he, he he says like are you okay as a question and then immediately after he's like okay oh i'm like getting goosebumps like, right now just oh talking gosh. about and the look on his face and like the sound that he makes and there's a little camera movement that's so gosh darn freaking genius when it like goes into first person for like a second and then and he like he like glances up towards the mirror but before he hits it like yeah. shoots back down because that is exactly what would happen like he already knows what's back and then there. when it goes onto his foot and he just like oh. lifts off the accelerator off the brake and and then following that up again for scenes with Peter, when he comes home on his bike that one oh, night, you're stealing all of the ones I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When he comes home on his bike that one night, and he parks his bike, and he like stands outside, and he's like, like clenching his fists and like working himself up to walk into his own house. Mm-hmm. Well, I got another thing from that scene as well because I don't know if he sees her or not, but his mom's sitting in the car there. Correct. And when i first saw it i thought he like noticed her and was like there's a person sitting in the car is she okay like that's my mom i don't think he saw her is she dead (laughs) like that was that was like my thought and he just like walked away and that's just like part of his character is that he's just he's just a coward like he just is Mm -hmm. but like well he's a 17 year old kid yeah like it's too much to put on a 17 yeah absolutely like it's not to like blame him or anything but like his way of dealing with it because he is still a kid is just like i'm just gonna go under my covers in my bed and stay there until something happens mm-hmm. but also he is in shock i mean he just yeah. killed his sister yeah. yeah of course you're not really gonna have any emotion for a little bit yeah like i try to think about like what i would do i don't know what do you do like do you call your parents crying like how do you even get yourself to like my say thing is what that's happened. what i'm saying how do you say that out loud yeah mm-hmm. Because it's such a terrible thing. Like, yeah, you just can't. You can't talk about it. You can't. I don't know. Okay, now that we've stolen all your scenes, Becca. Well, those were my scenes. The dinner scene especially, Mm -hmm. I think, is so good just because, like, the acting is so incredible and, like, the things that they're saying to each other are just, like, so real and, like, very, very important to the movie. And so many things that she said, I feel like, show her character but also like some of the story like i mentioned earlier when she's like we could have learned something from this but it did nothing it could have brought us closer together whereas like a normal family if like 
their daughter had actually died from just like an accident that wasn't their fault it probably might bring them together Mm -hmm. but like this was a demon doing all of it so they're like it wasn't going to bring them together so i just thought that was interesting um what else definitely the dream scene and that one is just like so scary to watch because all of a sudden you see them like all wet with like the paint thinner or whatever and then their faces just like oh i don't know it's just very creepy oh my gosh and then the um so when she chases peter at the end and he climbs up into the attic and you hear the thumping oh my gosh they show her she's like on the ceiling banging her head oh that was oh that's so good yeah well, and also just, like, when he's in the attic and he turns and he sees the three people in the closet and she mm-hmm. waves and he just jumps out the window mm-hmm. and it's just, like, over. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You like, know, like, I, I don't know that. I was talking with some people at work and they were like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Like, I think that's what I would do. They like, literally get me out of here. They literally broke his brain, I think, at yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you're watching your mom, like. <laughs> well, and you know seeing I mean? a picture like, of yourself with, like, your eyes all cut out yeah. and just, like. Oh my like god. The outline of a body with yeah. some candles and like And you know that your dad's dead, you know that your sister's dead, you know that your mom is crazy. And she's currently killing herself right above you. Like, like yeah. you have nothing else to live for at that point. That's what I'm like would you rather be in stuck in this attic with these crazy people or chance it going out the window? That's what I'm yeah. I think I think they just broke him. Yeah. Yeah. I would which do was the same which thing, was kind I of think. the point. Yeah. Um The poor dad. He was always oh just. Oh my goodness! He was so, trying his best. He was just so worried about it being too cold, <laughs> and then he burns to death. <laughs> How many times did he tell people in this movie that it was too cold? <laughs> it's too cold. Close it's the window. Too cold. Close the window. Don't go up into the treehouse, and then he burns to death. Like the irony. You know, I think that the dad and the son, as soon as he knew that his wife is going a little crazy, I think they should have just gone to a hotel for a couple days. Like that's in nice but again, I, up in Park City. I put myself yeah. in his. I put myself in his shoes. Like, that's a that's a tough decision to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I think that most people would probably wait too long to make. Yeah. They've been married. So he's uh, Peter's seventeen. So they've been married at least seventeen years, mm-hmm. right? Like you're with this person for seventeen years, and they've been through so much together, like dealing with her mom. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, that's a tough decision to make to be like, I'm going to take our kid and go. That he, when he finally does make it, where he calls her and he's like, I have a son to take care of. Well, even then, he should have gone to a hotel. Like, when he went and picked up his son, because his son had, like, mm-hmm. gotten his nose all messed up. Like, at that point, just go to a hotel. But again, just there's just, like, there's so many key night. little scenes because there's the one right before he burns where she's like crying and kissing him and is like you're the love of my life i love you so much i love you so much Mm -hmm. like they did have a good relationship yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know it's true what other scenes are are we missing any other scenes that were Hmm. something Um, special oh there's that one well it's another like dream one where he Peter wakes up and sees Charlie in the corner in the basketball oh, oh and then it rolls down and then the door just shuts and and it wait and is it, that the same one where he that's where he gets his, his head, head pulled off and then his mom comes in and he's yeah. like you were trying to rip my head off but it was really just like the demon or whatever yeah I don't really know happening. what that was I think it was just maybe a dream I don't know yeah I'm not sure but yeah that was a good scene or the oh. one where she wakes up. I guess the beginning of the dream scene where she wakes up With and the ants, the ants he's yeah. all getting Ugh. 
get eated. Yeah. yeah. Pretty gross. Nothing. Well, and again, her face where she's just like sitting there looking at him like terrified. <laughs> yeah, so and we, we have, we've discussed it but not mentioned it specifically. The freaking support group scene. Mm-hmm. Her acting in that because she just like stutters through it mm-hmm. and like pauses and stops herself and mm-hmm. like good well and no one looks heavens. surprised in that they're all just sitting there because like, they're oh. all the cult members <laughs> I know they know all of this they're like we did this to your we family <laughs> and can we give Ann Dowd a nomination for supporting oh, yeah. actress Fuck yeah. Holy so cow. Good. Like, when you realize, again, watching it the second time, I always had an off feeling about it, even the first time, but watching it the second time, like, knowing who she was, mm-hmm. that she's, like, the right-hand man, mm-hmm. like, one scene that stuck out to me as far as her acting is when Annie doesn't go to the support group and she, like, flags her down or whatever, and she's about to leave, and she's like, my son died. Mm-hmm. Like... I'm like, you just made that crap up. Yeah. I'm like, you said that just to get her to stay. <laughs> you manipulative little piece of crap. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and then even like after Charlie died, she's like, I just need to die. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Oh, I don't want that on my feet. Yeah. I'm like, give me strength and blood <laughs> on earth. Oh my gosh. So good. Wow, so good. Can I, can I mean, we also good, uh, set design was so good. Just felt oh. like you were in a dollhouse the entire time. Yeah, oh, it's so true. Good. Which again, tying back to the theme. So uh, the freaking opening scene where it zooms in on the miniature, mm-hmm. and then you go back to the idea of this is all just manipulated. There's that scene again in the classroom where he's like, "Is it more tragic that they do or they don't have a choice?" Mm-hmm. And like at the very beginning, it tells you like these are just little pawns being played with. Mm-hmm. And even, like, you mentioned this after the first time we saw it. There's, like, another display right by the stairs where it's, like, their house. Oh, this is my favorite thing. <laughs> and oh. then their house is on top of, like, two or three other houses. No, yeah. So, so it's, it's, when, it's when they're going downstairs for the seance. I, I'm so glad you brought this up because I lo- oh, one of my favorite pieces of symbolism <laughs> in the whole movie. So good. Because they're going downstairs for the seance, and it's, it pans over to the sculpture that's at the bottom of the stairs. And it's it's a house on top of a house on top of a house on top of a house and then the ground and then a house. Mm-hmm. So it's like just one house built on top of the next. Mm-hmm. And like if that doesn't just sum up all the themes of the movie, I don't know what does. Yeah. Okay. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Ari Aster was just like at a little kitschy store and saw that and was like, I'm going to write a movie about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last shout out for me to the music. Oh, yeah. Mr. Colin Stetson, pulling it out. Mm-hmm. Good job, sir. The I was a little bit unsure on it the first time at certain points, especially with the like little techno parts where it got like kind of electronic. Uh-huh. But I loved it this time. Yeah, I thought the music was fantastic throughout the whole thing. All right. Um, well, we're gonna go see American Animals right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. And we gotta we gotta get there in time. So, uh, final thoughts and score. Um, I say that it is a very well put together movie. It's brilliant, but I didn't like it. Made me feel gross. So for that, I would give it a six point five out of ten. 
which I feel like is still pretty high for not liking it. That's very high for not liking it. Uh, Sid. Um, I really liked it. I mean, it didn't really make me feel very good, and I, I never want to talk to my family again after it. (laughs) Um. So, I mean, I think just looking at it as a movie, it's so good. Just the foreshadowing and set design and acting, and oh, it's so good. So, I would probably have to give it a eight point eight. I gosh darn loved this movie and everything about it um i think that it's you always see the hyperbole in trailers and when they're like this is this generation's exorcist and blah 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 like i think that could be true like i think that when we look back 20 30 years from now at horror we're going to look at hereditary and like just the ones that i mentioned mostly like hereditary and the witch and the babadook as like these watershed moments of just amazing horror where people took the vehicle of horror and used it to tell a different story. They used the horrific elements, like I said, as set rather than as plot. And I think that's, it takes a lot of intelligence to do that. And I think that this one did it. I think that out of those listed, this is probably the best one. Um, Becca disagrees with me because she likes the Babadook a lot. I love the Babadook. Don't get me wrong. I really do. Um, but I would give Hereditary 9.3 out of 10. <laughs> um, and we got some pretty different scores this time. I know. I think that uh, – and I might even score it higher than that if I had to think about it a little bit because I just I'm, – I'm, I'm thinking back to myself that I gave Children of Men a 9.5. You would not rate it higher than children. I wouldn't rate it higher than children of men. Good. So that's like my, (laughs) and then, like I said, my tens are like, there will be blood and Blade Runner and that kind of stuff. So (laughs) um, that's what I'm saying. This is probably a 9.2, for me. So we probably fall somewhere in the high sevens between the three of us. Yeah. Sounds pretty good movie. Yeah. For some people. Well, (laughs) we're going to go see American Animals. And Mm -hmm. we'll let you guys know next time how it was. Peace and blessings, y'all. Bye. Bye.